Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Hey, Simon. How's tricks? Uh, very good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very good. If that's if that's a good description. Sounds very, sounded a bit clumsy. I've got a beer. I haven't got very far down it, so I can't blame that. Um, and I'm ready to go. Are we going to grapple with a meaty topic like grid independence? No, um, no, we're going to do another meaty topic, aren't we? Oh, uh, okay. Our favorite, our favorite. It's oh, it's not meshing on a document, is it? From uh, from our aeronautic friends across the pond. Uh it's the NASA Vision 2030. Yes, I think um, I think it's fair. I, if I was a betting man, and sometimes I can be, I think you've probably read more of it than I have. But we'll find out, shall we? I have gone back to the beginning in the Kindle, so I can't tell you what percentage I got through it. Um, it wasn't to the end. I'll give you that. How was, uh, how was the? Was it a PDF on Kindle? How was that for you? Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was. It's, it's all good. Oh no, I can. I can leave all that nonsense. <laughs> oh, some meaty words um so how are we going to do this then are we going to um take some take some points and 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 see what see what sticks or because we are do you think it might be fair to say that we are perhaps not the intended audience of this document um i think that's very fair to say that we're not the intended audience so i think it would be um is that because we're brits Sorry? Is that because we're Brits? <laughs> um, no, I think um, I think it's because we don't do spaceships and stuff. Um, and that's maybe a little bit cynical. Um, I couldn't I do that. I'd problem. worry about it too much. <laughs> well, no, I think there's lots of things that could be relevant in terms of taking the technology forward, but I think it's very much a what does NASA want and need from CFD in 10 years' time? Um, oh crikey that, that's all it is isn't it yeah um, but that's quite broad and there's some good things in there that if they manage to do will be beneficial to folk like you and I who tend not to do CFD of the SR71 or re-entry vehicles and, and so forth so I think um, I think it'll be good to take a meander through it um, picking it apart bit by bit I don't think is going to be too valuable because it's reasonably chunky and reasonably in-depth and we'll spend a lot of time talking about bits and bobs and it's quite technical as well if i um if the skim reading i've done has um done it any justice so um i guess i guess a good place to start would be what would be your aside from me saying it's what NASA wants and needs from CFD in 10 years. What was your overriding impression at a high level, having sort of read it? I have got one, but I'm just going to say before that, in case somebody's scratching their head and thinking, what, what are they on about? A while ago, NASA did this exercise where, which, in fact, a series of exercises where they kind of had a little bit of introspection about what they thought they might need from CFD in 2030 some random horizon by the sound of it um they took that out and did a survey and asked other people what they thought they had a kind of event i think it was a kind of conference or a symposium around it and and distilled it a bit further and and came up with a document that we're discussing now because we weren't party to the the survey or the event or anything like that and it's kind of their learnings i did that in air quotes because i'm not even sure if it's a real word but it was their learnings from this exercise and kind of they've distilled it into a document that anybody can get hold of and have a look and, and see what nasa think is necessary for our industry in the next I, I really hadn't thought that it's not much more than 10 years ago 10 years away that's frightening um but back to what I thought of it, um, I've described it a couple of times as NASA's shopping list. Now, I'll sort of explain that if it doesn't make a great deal of sense. NASA used to have loads of money to spend on this sort of thing, on development and research and improving methods and things like that. 
And they didn't just spend it themselves. They funded other people's work and genuinely drove the industry forward. The days of that are long gone. NASA don't seem to have any money for this sort of thing anymore. So my take on this document is this is NASA saying this is what we would do if we had some money. This is what we want in the next however many years. Um, We're not going to fund it. But if you are in a position to go and get some funding to do this work or you want to do this work and there's a chance that you might get a grant or something, this is a document that you can point to and say, look, what we're doing is worthwhile. NASA wants it um, and hopefully get some money from other sources to fund your research. That's my slightly cynical, but I think possibly reasonable take on the document. So that's really interesting to me because I hadn't got such a clear picture in my head about the financial and organisational aspects. So are you quite confident that this is a um, list of things that NASA would like but don't have any funds or mechanisms by which to get some of this done directly themselves? I couldn't put my finger on the line in the executive summary, but it says something along those lines in the executive summary that um, they no longer have the resources to do this sort of thing. They pushed it forward a lot in the past and now they, they're kind of falling behind and they need, I think it sounds like they need people to, to sort of step up and do this research and kind of fill in for them a little bit because it's not something that they can do. They don't have the biggest computers anymore. They don't have the biggest budgets anymore. Um, And there's a case to say that they also don't have the pull that they used to have. You know, you can't necessarily see some of the commercial CFD manufacturers chasing down some of these targets um, that are in this document because it's not their core market. What 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 would be the point of them of them doing that as opposed to academic codes and things like that? Um, academic research which exists to push things forward and needs to needs to get funding to do that and also needs to be able to point. You always need to be able to point at either an industrial sponsor who says yes we need this or um, a particular use case that is that funding this research is going to be a, a worthwhile thing to do, and that that's sort of how it, it it's sat with me. Okay, so that's um, that's still really interesting because that touches quite closely to one of the points that I wanted to make that I won't make yet. Um, but in terms of having a bit of a technical thread through some of the different things they're talking about. Um, NASA's ability to fund and direct and kind of control some of the activities plays into one of the thoughts that I had. So um, if we pick that up a bit later, I think that will be um, an interesting angle and discussion on how some of these things might actually play out. So in the executive summary of this document, they've got a few bullet points and I will flip through them and give you the the executive summary of the executive summary um, as to the the themes that are going on and then we can perhaps pick them apart a bit. In fact, the first one is that NASA need to up their game in this in the research and development for this, um, what they call simulation-based analysis and design because it's dropped off in the last 10 years and they need to... Um, reinvigorate that in their own words if they're going to want if they're going to make any sort of substantial advances um that's a, a statement of, of of what they need to achieve and it's the the first thing on the list the second one is that um hpc is changing almost beyond recognition and over that time horizon it's kind of anybody's guess which direction it's going to go and the only thing that is obvious from that is that there's a strong potential that the 
CFD codes of today aren't going to be suited to the HPC of tomorrow. Um, point three was that se- prediction of separated flows and particularly turbulent and and with turbulent flows with significant regions of separation are just not up to snuff. It's the 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 prediction of those is not good enough um, for what they want to do with it. Point four was the enormous bottleneck that is mesh generation. Um, that they haven't put, they sort of suggesting that the government, I guess, them as part of that, haven't put enough money into investment in those areas. Um, five was that coupled with the advances in HPC, so just pure muscle to speed up the calculations, somebody needs to put some effort into real revolutionary algorithm development. The potential for speed up from an algorithm change is vast um, and it's sort of stagnated for quite a while. So they see that as an area that can really deliver some results. Uh, Point six was as the size of these simulations and particularly as the size of the machines explode, um, it's going to get harder and harder to manage the amount of data that is being generated. Um, And to some extent, that includes visualisation as well um, as just managing these colossal data CFD data sets. Um, Point seven... I'm not sure how many there are of these, but here we go. Point seven, um, that they need to be, development of CFD codes needs to be um, evolved so that more multidisciplinary simulations can be done. The codes don't really link together properly at the moment. They don't have a common language or a common interface that they can go through so that you can easily do um, multidisciplinary optimization or, or that sort of thing. So um, there needs to be development in there as well as robustness and, and automation. Um, oh, that was it. That is number seven, was it? Um, so they've got this vision but I think those are the uh, those are the key sort of headline areas of interest or flavours that uh, that they are interested in pursuing. What stands out? Um, so the one that I wanted to pick up on was the HPC one, um, and this plays a little bit along the thread I was talking about earlier. So the um, you were talking about um, the different technologies that are kind of driving that HPC expansion. And I think they kind of acknowledge the increased parallelism and, to quote them, heterogeneous architectures. Um, Do they just mean that it's not just chips anymore, that there's GPUs in there and it's – or it's not just GPUs and it's not just CPUs, it's a, a, an unspecified mix of the, the, the lot? Uh, I guess that's what the landscape is, but I'm I'm – a little bit surprised that they haven't explicitly called out GPUs in the sense that I'm struggling to see what is the what's the other leading HPC architecture that's going to start to address some of these challenges. So um, if you if you kind of they're not hedging their quantum bets, are they? Well, it's funny you should say that. So one of the one of the most useful pages I found was towards the end. Um, because it doesn't have very many words on it. Um, and it was, uh, I'll get to it in a minute. Um, it's page all the way down to the bottom. Uh, um, here we go. Uh, page 23. Um, and it's a nice, it's almost like a little project plan type thing um, of all the different things they want to have a look at. I think for some context, I think what they've done is taken those seven points you've just talked through in the executive summary and then they've sort of formulated those into some grand challenges okay yeah yeah in terms of things to simulate and then they've made some programmatical recommendations in terms of how 
I think NASA go about trying to influence these things to happen. Um, and as far as I can understand, um, the page 23 is a kind of, it's not really a project planning type thing, but it, it kind of walks through at the high level. So it's talking about physical modeling, which is very much in the direction of this turbulence modeling of separated flows. They've got a bit of combustion in there because I think they want to, um, one of the grand challenges is to simulate um, off design conditions of a turbofan engine yeah. um, involving combustion. So that will obviously be turbulent combustion and all those um, all those fun things in there. There's a few algorithms in there which are talking about convergence. I think this is one of their angles on the, the challenge from a turbulence modeling perspective. Um, they're talking about second close second order closure models so that's the reynolds stress transport flavor of turbulence modeling yeah they really don't like that when you read it in depth they are uh, scathing yes and some of the scathing as far as i can see is around the convergence performance so i think that's um, interested to know what you think on this that was how i picked up some of their kind of algorithm development was around um, not necessarily the pure physics of the turbulence modeling, but the performance of the models on, you know, um, flows around commercial airliners, military aircraft, I'm guessing um, orbital vehicles. Yeah, in I mean, in terms I, of convergence of a, you know, I don't know, whatever the number is, 10 billion cell model mesh. Yeah, I got the impression that some of these um, techniques work quite well on idealized. Um, perfect grids and things like that but are far from useful on what they call kind of complex geometric conditions which is you know anything actually useful yeah it's kind of interesting isn't it from uh, from some of our experience in the motorsport world i think um, i don't i don't really i don't know it might be going on sticky ground here but i'll say anyway i wouldn't consider um geometry of a Boeing 747 particularly geometrically complex. Um, I'm not saying the flow isn't complex. I'm just saying the geometry isn't certainly not as geometrically complex as the internals of a um, Formula One race car front wheel, for example. I would describe that as geometrically complex. Hang on. I'm just looking for your Twitter handle to uh, let people know where to go if they uh, disagree. <laughs> they wish to profoundly disagree with yeah, me. No, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd <laughs> agree with that. So in, I mean, the whole point of it in flight is that it isn't geometrically complex. Um, I guess various bits at various resolutions could be described as complex. But uh, yeah, as, as long as you've not got the... Uh, the insides of a spinny fan and uh, combustion and things like that, but yeah, I get I get your point. Um, but I think what, the way that way they were getting at it from was, you know, you've we've had we've had RSM Reynolds stress models for for years and they work a bit, but you don't have to uh, you don't have to stray very far from an ideal mesh and an ideal condition before they cease to be useful at all. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think the back to the potentially not too geometrically complex um, commercial airliner example. I think one of their grand challenges is to. I don't know if they've called out LES explicitly. I think they are um, more. I think LES with um, down to the wall resolution capturing level. So yeah. not um, not a hybrid des thing. Proper LES thing of a commercial airliner across its full um, flight envelope of operating conditions. So I think that's the part that brings the complexity. And I think at cruise, it's more straightforward. I think at conditions such as landing, when, you're, um, when your wings aren't too far off stalling, um, I think that's the part where the turbulence modeling gets challenging and where they're not seeing the sort of correlations that they want in terms of getting some useful design um, direction and data out of the models um, so I think that's that all sounds sensible um, what brought me onto this topic was you saying things about quantum computing um, and this technology development roadmap thing kind of does call I haven't quite figured out what it means um, but there is a line in there that says CFD on revolutionary systems quantum bio etc oh, bio bio awesome. Is that um, like the Matrix? 
I guess that I I can only think that means genetic stuff, but I don't have any real handle on what that actually means in practice and who's doing anything there. Um, so that's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm going to get some algae in the garage doing CFD. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I don't know how they're panning that out. It seems like they've got a couple of decision points, one in 2020 and one in 2025, about whether that's um, something that's viable. They've kind of color-coded their bar charts into red, yellow, and green, red being low technology readiness, yellow being medium, and green being high. And that and one's the, pink, is it, or something? <laughs> well, no, this is, this is dashed red. This is... It doesn't even become red until 2025. So um, I'm kind of interested. For me, that's the part that jumped out a little bit. Quite a lot of the other things that they've said don't strike me as revolutionary. They come across a bit more as a natural evolution of the tool set and the technology that we have. Maybe HPC doesn't quite fit that, but this is the one that jumps out. Whatever a bio supercomputer might look like, um, it was the only one that caught my eye for being something that was a little bit more left field in here. It uh, sounds a bit scary, mm. but uh, sounds like anyway, you- I was I was angling down the HPC route because um, before you jumped in with the quantum stuff, I was struggling to see past GPUs as things that would sensibly get up to their their quoted desired compute power of 30 exaflops yeah i mean eventually that's going to be in your phone isn't it but um <laughs> the, the iphone 50 um i so, so when these when we get down these discussions of hpc and it, it just reminds me how kind of broad the family of of cfd is so when I when people sign up for the mailing list at my website, I'll send them an email that says, um, drop me a note, tell me what you do. And I get such a wide variety of, of people doing all manner of things with CFD. And you can be forgiven for thinking that CFD is whatever you do with CFD. And it, and it isn't. It's enormous. And this is sort of, you, you can get the blinkers on and... This is kind of where I think some of this NASA stuff, NASA vision, departs from reality for most CFD users. You know, if you if you, we had a discussion not very long ago about the um, the Envenio survey that was suggesting that most people do CFD on their kind of desktop or on a few cores or something like that, and that most CFD users aren't using HPC. They're certainly not using any exaflops or if they are using um, HPC, they're using it in... There's a particular description they use in this document and I I can't remember the terminology, but you might be using HPC, but you're using a lot of small chunks to do a lot of jobs as opposed to using all of it to run mega jobs. so you're using it as kind of throughput um, computer. I can't remember the they had a particular name for it. I don't know if you remember it. Um, so most people aren't aren't running jobs across this many processors, and the, the it's kind of super niche. However, um, it does seem to have to be the direction of travel. Um, we're all getting access, even even if you do only run CFD on your machine under your desk that very shortly will have probably a lot of cores, um, whether they're GPU cores or just more cores on a die, um, which is the the direction of travel up to a point. Um, We're hitting the the limits of being able to scale on those kind of machines. But the leap from having 28 cores or whatever under your desk to however many you get in an exit, flop machine um just seems like science fiction seems like not just two different worlds just like a different universe yes so um did you see in the news i think it it was either this week or the end of last week the new summit computer was that the one that nvidia had something to do with 
Um, if I, I wasn't aware of that, I was just aware that it was the computer that put the US back on top of the we've got the best computer list um, and bumped the Chinese down into second, third, fourth, fifth and sixth or whatever. Um, and that that um, that rocked up with 200 petaflops. Um, so if, I, if I've done my maths right, um, that's 150 times less powerful than what NASA want in nine in um, 12 years time. Um, and I had a quick look um, to try and get some kind of Moore's law E type thing um, for the increase in general compute capacity, independent of whether it's a CPU or GPU or a, some other thing. Um, and I remember seeing something like this on one of the keynotes that um, Jensen Huang, the CEO of NVIDIA, gave uh, a recent conference. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, the, uh, the, the closest thing I found was something that was really showed that how in the past two years um, there's been a tenfold increase in compute power from 20 petaflops to 200 um, and you can't really see anything else because everything before it's kind of so on, small <laughs> on the on the x-axis that you just got these two little step ups. Um, so I was I was trying to get a picture of how feasible this number is, and I couldn't really get a feel for it. I mean the the graph I looked at showed such a little steep climb out of the past two years that you you couldn't write it off, but it feels like it's in such a field of potential technology change or you know some other barrier that we haven't seen that I, I don't have a feeling for how likely it is um, so I was kind of interested on on where NASA are going with that I think from their perspective they are from the numbers I read they're trying to get something that will do a complete model of a commercial airliner unsteady and turn it round in 24 hours. Yeah, that was it. A mesh resolution that will do wall model LES or something like that. That was it, yeah. Um, so I guess that's where they've got their we'd like 30 exaflops from. Um, and maybe the 30 exaflops will be available. But this really starts to play into the thread I was talking about earlier on in the conversation where, so you've got this thing that's going to give you 30 exaflops. It, for my money, it's probably going to be GPUs, but I'm not too sure about that. Within that time frame, most likely. Um, so you, you're not too sure on the architecture, but you then coupled that with um, some new developments in turbulence modeling. Um, if you look at some of their stuff on grid generation, then they obviously want that to be <coughs> pain-free and quick and easy. Um, which is pretty much what everybody else wants from, from mesh generation. Um, but some of the pieces of work they've got going are with our friends over at Pointwise for high-order meshing. So, um, And I think some of the turbulence modeling stuff that they've got going on is else at universities, and one of those is Stanford. So you'd, you'd hedge and say that might end up in SU2. So... The reason I was interested in your comment earlier about the financial side and the and kind of tailoring into the management side is there's a very good chance that all these things happen in isolation or without sufficient crossover such that there is a 30 exaflop computer and there is a nice new turbulence model and there is some nice higher order meshing, but none of them go together. <laughs> you can't use them to do what NASA want. So that was the thing that was rolling around in my mind when you were mentioning about the, the finances and the direction. I'm I'm interested to see how that plays out because it feels to me like the biggest challenge is putting all of those things into the same pot to get NASA what it wants rather than the things happening out in the world on their own and not really being friends with each other. My thought on that that just came to mind is that who else wants this because if if what nasa want 
in that time frame is so far removed from what anybody else wants. Now, it's all in the same direction. Everybody wants, broadly speaking, the same stuff, but not everybody needs the same things. Um, who Who's paying for it? Who's going to pay for it? Or... What what's anybody's incentive to 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 move in in this direction? Um, when you are, you know, doing fundamental research, you know that's kind of a um, that's kind of a government's job to to fund that sort of thing, I guess. Um, but it's got to kind of benefit somebody along the line. If somebody's putting money in, or if somebody's putting the money in now, then NASA are going to have to pay for it on the back end, aren't they? Um, What's the kind of commercial driver for this sort of thing? Yeah, I'm not too sure on that. I guess the thing that's in my mind now is um, specifically from a kind of design perspective, I'd be in, I don't know whether you pick this up from, from what you've read, um, is what's the, what's the benefit to the design process of the next um, efficient, long-range, lightweight um, large commercial airliner, for example, of being able to do wall-modelled LES um, across the full flight envelope in 24 hours. In 24 hours, what uh, kind of what's the, um, you know, what's the right? Okay, I need to make these decisions about the shape, structure, strength of my wings, support bars, fuel tanks, all that kind of stuff. I didn't. I guess from this document, you wouldn't get that sort of context. But it seems quite implicit that's the we need to model the whole thing at complete accuracy just so that it's right. Um, and there's that bit that I'd be really interested in understanding what the you know what the benefit on the ground to the engineers who would use it would get um, kind of harks back to the favorite old conversations in motorsport about do you always have to do a full car model or can you just do a front wing for some things you know that kind of thing yeah yeah I, I i get you there um in terms of you know there's if it's going to take you how many of these how many of these simulations are you going to run if it's going to take you 15 years to design the next airplane yeah absolutely um and i guess there's no necessarily no need in this document for for that sort of um thinking to be explain but i'd just love to see how this um very big fancy full les model fits in with wind tunnel for what they what a conventional design process is for airliners or what the design process is that they envisage in 2030 that touches on a bit of one of in one of the sections of the report that i thought was quite interesting and might actually end up being a potentially more difficult problem to to solve was that there was a an argument to suggest that some of the the data sets experimental data sets and experimental um, data gathering that they have access to or that is around just isn't good enough for what they're trying to do um, and having spent time in wind tunnels doing that sort of thing you know if you think cfd's been doing broadly the same sort of thing for a long time then wind tunnels you can times that by 10 um they they can gather more data and um but is it is it the sort of data that's required or is it um, at the necessary resolutions and, and things like that it um it we've all seen those situations where you end up correlating a CFD model to a wind tunnel model and then find that it doesn't fit with anything else. Um, you could, you could see, you could possibly see this somewhere in the not too distant future. Your entire exaflop compute power being done on a CFD model of a, probably what would be by that point, almost a hundred year old wind tunnel. Um, with a an aeroplane model in it yeah so that's interesting so is it implicit in the document then that the belief is this level of cfd capability will enable the further development of um airliners 
for efficiency beyond what wind tunnels can and will do and that's why it's the bar's really quite high i don't know but i mean one of the things that they're talking about is that they don't have enough data to improve for example transition models and separation models and and and, and things like that um and they've already said in in one breath that it kind of there are techniques that are adequate for fairly simple geometry well if those techniques you can't be just gathering experimental data on that simple geometry to to hone your your turbulence models and your transition models etc etc if then when you step it up to something more geometrically representative it all falls down again okay okay at least i would say not quite okay so the thing that's then floating around my mind against what's in this document and what was in an associated document that I found while searching for this, which I think was a 2017 update on progress. So the this original document was 2014, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. Um, Have you found I, one um, where they've said they've nailed it? No, which oh, okay. is the thing. Um, so they had um, – it was a presentation – and they were talking about some of the things that they'd done against these programmatical recommendations. So the um, geometry and grid generation was where I was talking about um, the piece that they're doing together with the point-wise guys on higher-order meshing um, and people who were looking at turbulence modelling. And there was a list of universities in there. Stanford was one of them. Um, and then... Some of the algorithms they were there was MIT in there, so there was all you know the serious high level universities that you'd hope and expect that they would be talking to were all involved in projects that I'm not sure how they were being um, managed, funded, and all those kind of things. But it was a it came across as a progress update. But the thing that confused me a little bit was that the the um, the roadmap on page 23 of the original document was pretty much identical to the one in this review so i was hoping to see some some things in there that suggested where things had got to um so i, I kind of took from that that maybe things haven't gone along the roadmap necessarily very much since 2014 but they have been making some um making some inroads in these different areas uh, when you when you mentioned the meshing there, it also reminded me of I from what I took from the the document. What they really want is um, adaptive, error reducing, automated meshing, and I don't see a lot of that in the uh, in the in the market or the in development at the moment. Is that am I missing it, or is it just is it not ready? So it's not come out. I see that's not the high order stuff um no that's that's different um this is closer to what you see with or what the guys at kind of ingrid cloud are talking about where it's there's no manual intervention at all you throw it the uh you throw it the the intent and the model and what level of accuracy you want and it figures it out um that sounds like a way off in in most cases um, absolutely, I can't think of any other examples other than other than the angry cloud, as you mentioned. The bit that then jumps back into my mind is, well, if you assumed you could pick that capability out of um, the angry cloud manifestation, how's that going to play with your funky new wall-modeled LES thing? Um, this is the bit that's that's bouncing around my head that I can't quite get a good handle on is all of these things have to play together very nicely um yeah so it feels like that it's a fairly comprehensive wish list that doesn't necessarily sit well or depending how each of these individual goals is achieved they don't necessarily um achieve the overarching goal of being able to do all of these things at once no i i I'd be interested to dig a little bit more into what's what has been what work has been done since the 2014 document, but that's my feeling at the moment. Is um, I could believe that by 2030, a lot of these things technically will be achievable in isolation, but I'm not 
necessarily sure that you'll be able to put them all together to do this full envelope um, commercial airliner 24-hour wall modeled LES thing that they're after. Um, that for me feels like pro- probably the most difficult bit and all of these things in isolation are extremely technically challenging but I my perception is that putting them all together is probably the most difficult part. Yeah that you could you could individually achieve each of the those sort of seven points but still be 20 years off being able to do them all together. Yeah absolutely. So let's assume and I mean, I, I don't like to make too many assumptions, but let's assume that neither one of us will be running kind of wall-modelled LES um, airliners across their full flight configuration in, in 24 hours. Let's assume neither of us have a requirement for that in the next 12 years. Um, what did you take out of it? You thought, yeah, that uh, that bit that bit's the most interesting or that bit is potentially the most impactful for me. Or have you already ordered your your exaflop machine? <laughs> yes, um, I've put my rapidly depreciating uh, Bitcoin into that fund. Um, so the bit that you can mine a load more on this exaflop machine. <laughs> yes, well, that may very well be a more valuable use for it. Um, so the the bits that were interesting for me was the wall model LES, um, and I'm. I'm conscious of of what I believe to be an area where turbulence modeling improvements could add value across the breadth of products that kind of encounter um, turbulent or transitionary flow. So I've been doing a bit of work recently with blood flow modeling, which has got some kind of not nowhere near the equivalent um, weight that NASA have put behind this, but the FDA are doing a, a kind of similar drive from a modeling perspective in, in some of the medical areas. Um, and some of the simple test cases they've got there are um, at transitional Reynolds numbers and um, RANS doesn't cut it. And lots of, there's been a few papers published that is quite open um, and blunt about that. So that, that development into something that is then more um, usable and uh, efficient in terms of convergence and all the things that NASA want for their particular case. Um, I think there's lots of other different areas. Back to what you were saying about some of the people who subscribe to your mailing list are going off and doing lots of um, weird and wonderful things. My perception is that that capability would roll out quite nicely across a large swathe of some of this other breadth of use. So for me, I'd probably go turbulence modeling first, and then I'd I'd have to do automatic meshing. Um, There's a bit bit of me that likes meshing, um, but I'm happy to, to leave that bit up behind for, I guess, ease of use and automation and time efficient processing so those would be my two turbulence modeling and friendly automatic meshing so before leaving that turbulence modeling too far behind do you think that it would be sort of the efforts that went into something that would satisfy the kind of flow conditions that that nasa are talking about would have a would be useful for the kind of flows that you were just talking about now maybe they would maybe they wouldn't but do you think that the research that would lead you to a more useful model for the kind of flows you were just talking about these kind of blood flow models the research that is going on or that would lead to improved accuracy for that um, there's going to be a kind of a fork if you like a bifurcation or whatever um, of there's going to be maybe it's empirical based or something like that but there's going to be an increase in accuracy for those flows there's going to be an increase in accuracy for for x this flow over here and that flow over there they're they're all going to anything that where that increase in accuracy is sufficiently um, desirable is going to warrant its own research that possibly isn't going to cross over into other realms do you know what i mean yeah, I, I think I, I get where you're coming from. So I guess I'm I'm looking at it from the the place of 
taking the taking the turbulence modeling sufficiently far to satisfying NASA's aims that that drags it along in in other domains that would have a benefit and it wouldn't necessarily spit out straight away but you know somebody along the process goes oh actually um, given these developments if I fork it here and then take it off down this route then this solves these other problems um, so I, I guess I'm seeing this as a, a, a bit of a not necessarily the driving force but a, you know a real push along that route that I could see having um, benefits in lots of other areas um, but I, I guess the, the the other thing that's floating around the back of my mind on this topic is um, PIFR. Okay. I mean, that feels like that's ticking some of these boxes. I don't know enough about it, basically. I, I was going to say that I'm not sure they do a great job of shouting about what they've got and what they can do. Um, otherwise, we'd all hear about it maybe that's unfair i don't know or maybe it's just an ac- academic type thing um but yeah i think they uh they probably deserve a bit more publicity or a bit more attention than they're perhaps getting yes yeah, so um I, I couldn't describe the technical details um but to my understanding it's wall-modelled resolution LES. Um, it doesn't do any of the DES things. It plays nicely on the higher-order grids, and I think they've even actually done a few tests with some meshes that the Pointwise guys have done. And it'll run on this 200 petaflop Summit supercomputer. Just feels like it's sort of sitting in the middle there and warrants a little bit of a look. Um, it may not happen for a bunch of other reasons. Like you say, it could be communication as much as anything else. But it just feels like it ticks a few of these boxes or maybe doesn't completely tick them, but kind of half ticks enough of a few of the boxes that it's worth a look. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The thing that stood out for me by its emission, or if it wasn't emitted, I didn't see it, was the application of i was going to say ai but i think i mean machine learning um in the development of turbulence modeling um i understand that that to be a an interesting area of development where um using ai and and machine learning techniques to to improve um, turbulence modeling and various other um, aspects of the the numerics of these codes. Um, I don't know if that's something you can talk to a little bit more or whether it's, it's just too fresh that it's, um, it's not out there yet. Um, It's fresh and it's certainly interesting. The thing that um, I don't have a good appreciation for in terms of CFD applications of AI is how you deal with the large data set requirements. So all of the, um, all of the neat tools that you see um, the Google guys doing. Um, I don't know if you've played on the. Um, there's a. There's a. On the Google, I think it's the cloud platform. Have you played with their um, image analyzer? No. Um, so you can just basically copy a picture from anywhere, um, drag it onto the Dropbox thing on their website, and it'll pretty much tell you what it's a picture of. Um, have you not have, have you used that on your phone? I uh, um, so I had the call the other day. My I'm going to stray off topic here a little bit, but my little boy made a model of Lego ages ago that I took a photo of, and it was this little dude with a smiley face on one side and a sad face on the other. It was it was it was quite cute. And I took a picture of it with my phone, but this was quite a long time ago. I've no idea how long ago it was when we did it. I've no idea. Um, it just happened in the past. However, open up Google Photos, type Lego into the search, and there it was. It knew it was Lego, therefore I'll show it to you. Uh, and then proceeded to try out all sorts of things. Coffee, food, biscuit, <laughs> all flowers, all sorts of things. Anything you could uh, imagine. You sort of just um, 
it had already categorised them for me in the background that I never knew about. Yeah, so... Terrifying. It's a similar thing. I was about to say um, on the GCP, Google Cloud Platform, thing that you can play with, you, you can drop pictures of yourself in. Um, I did just for a laugh. I put a picture of myself and my wife at a friend's party. What did it think uh, you were? Um, no, it just... It basically told me how happy my wife looked and how happy I didn't look. Um, oh, wow. I could do with so, that, like as, as in my glasses or something like that. So, yeah, I can't remember what the categories are, but you've got like joy, sorrow, something. There's like five um, emotions, and it will give you a percentage score against each of those, depending on what your face is doing. Um, so, anyway, the, the, <laughs> the, point, um, the point I was about to get to before we went off pace for a little bit was um, – to do all of that stuff, um, the Google visual machine learning algorithm stuff has seen, I don't know how many pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's seen a lot. Like five. Uh, it, so it's it's seen a lot and it's learned. And I don't know how that correlates to um, turbulence modeling, where you could certainly understand how um, those types of algorithms could help you, um, I don't know, to relatively basic level pick constants for RANS models that um, were a good compromise between accuracy and convergence, for example. So from a kind of capability perspective, you can see that, but I don't have a handle on how many solved cases with painful convergence of RANS turbulence models you'd have to feed the thing so that it could then go and do its intelligence off the back of that. Um, and I guess against some of the things that NASA are talking about, that data, that gen, the generation of that data set could be untenable. Yeah, for for those scale things, I'm thinking more about whether it's got application or, or there's a similar um, parallel you could draw with some of the what was it, the deep learning where it was uh, AlphaGo was teaching itself to play Go and then it played against itself to get better. Um, could you do that with with turbulence modeling, where you where it kind of plays against itself, if you like, so it makes a change and uh, um, it's it's looking to reduce errors on a given grid and, and that sort of thing. Oh, okay. So if you if you define the game properly, could it uh, could you could you use deep learning to uh, to to do these things? I don't know. I'm I'm straying I'm straying well out of my comfort zone, but it was just it didn't seem to be to be mentioned in there. But th- th- to be fair, there wasn't a lot of detail about how we expect you to go and fulfill these things this is what we think is wrong and we we need it fixed go do it um that was yeah that was how most of it's phrased no that's right and it might be something that happens as part of one of these algorithm packages that the mit guys are doing for example so uh, yeah i think it might be something that kind of comes about as they go along but um they haven't explicitly called it out as you've said so yeah, I would second the uh, the automated meshing for my probably for my wish list. Some sort of um, automated meshing with error reduction or something like that. Anything that means I don't have to do grid independent studies and things like that. Um, that would be probably top of my list. I could see coming out of there. The uh, any any speed up and scale up and things like that are, would be welcome, but not essential. No. Um, slightly off piece again. Have you seen that neat video that's been doing the rounds of the transient wake of the landing gear of the 747 or whatever? Nose wheel thing. Yeah. Has it been around for a while? It's been around for a, definitely for a month or two. And it's kind of like a slow rotate type thing, is it? Um, it's just incredibly high resolution. But it can does it kind of pan round the front of the nose wheel so you can see like the doors and things like that? Um, I'm just trying to see if re- we're talking about the same one. Relatively static, as far as I can remember. I was just spending a time looking. I think it was a um, contours of Q criterion yeah. or some other autistic thing. You can spend quite and a while it, staring at it, can't you? Yeah. Um, so it kind of that that struck me as something that was well along the. Uh, kind of along the roadmap to to doing some of these things. It probably uh, took it probably took like eight months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, mate. Yeah. Fair doors probably did. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess I'm still kind of 
still haven't got that good picture in my mind of how it all fits into kind of design requirements and what you're testing for and what decisions you're trying to make from an engineering perspective. Um, you know, you can, you can see the nice, really visual and kind of, well, visually powerful animations of the, um, of the landing gear wake. And then you can look at the document here that's talking about the full flight envelope, full models, 24 hours, 30 exaflops. And it, it's kind of difficult to pick it in terms of why isn't what I'm seeing now good enough versus why you need this thing that may not even come about over the course of the next 12 years. Yeah. I mean, we're getting, we're getting close to time and close to, straight into other topics and things like that but i mean that would that would bring me to a discussion of some of the tooling around these things i don't think there's sufficient kind of tooling around unsteady flow analysis anyway um you know it's all very well running some of these fairly like you say visually stimulating um cfd simulations but if what you're doing to and analyze them is to either time if you if you time average that back into something that you can then compare to something else or you're boiling it down to two or three numbers to make your um, to base your decision upon in it from a design context um i just don't see that the tooling's there to make those sort of simulations easily useful in a design context no you're right if you kind of boil it back to something simple and if it is driven by confidence in your um, separation point for your turbulent flow then you don't have to spend all of the extra time generating the nice movies and images and all these things you can just script in a, a you kind of show me the surface oil flow plots and, and tell me something about the, the turbulent transition and separation problem that's that's causing me grief and that still feels like a lot of there's a lot of legwork that I'm looking at on this technology roadmap. If that's really the critical bit that you just need to focus on, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be far off before we can just. I was going to ask the Amazon assistant, but it might, I might set her off. So it would be like, okay, Google, which of these two designs is better, um, and let that let it let that take the strain with its automated meshing and do some uh, do some magic in the background. Mm. No, I did. Um, I'm, I'm just going to mention it quickly. I did post that thing on the um, Facebook page today. Is it Mono? I can't remember what it was called. Something AI Monolith. Monolith. Um, and that touted to just kind of take your design drawings and tell you if it's going to meet a performance spec using AI. And I'm doing the uh, doing air quotes. AI, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's another one of those things that AI is brilliant, it will solve lots of things for us, but I was just kind of interested in that slant of here's a design, here's a list of requirements, I'll work out what simulations I need to do, go off and do them and tell you whether it's going to meet it or not. That all sounded quite um, out there, yeah, yeah. to the level of asking Alexa if she can figure it out for you. Yeah, I mean, that exists already. Uh, most of my clients do voice activated CFD. It's on the fo- <laughs> it's on the phone to me. Um, are we going to leave it there? I think we should leave it there. I think um, hopefully we've covered this in enough detail to give people a flavour. Um, hopefully so we've you- covered it in enough detail that you're not going to want to do another one on it. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, you, you, you said I, you weren't I, drinking. You were sitting by the pool relaxing, but not drinking while reading it. I think that was the problem. Yeah, that was the problem. You're right. It's the problem. Um, I guess, so for me, this is something that I'll certainly try and keep an eye on. It's not the sort of document that I want to read. Well, well to be honest, Again. I have to say I, I failed in reading all of it. It's not, it's not the document. It's not reading this document isn't the thing that interests me. It's just kind of keeping an eye on what direction is being taken and what progress is being made. Um, and like I said, I'd, I'd absolutely love it if you've got PointWise's um, high-order mesh generator, some bit of some aircraft, um, and you gave that to PIFR on the Summit 200 petaflop thing. I think, I mean, for me, that's what I'd like to see. That's got um, interest and relevance for what I think NASA are trying to get at. 
do we should we do like a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something so if we can make that happen? Um, well, I'm, I I might give it a little tweet push. I'm sure NASA don't pay any attention to my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> might do. Well, I don't know what kind of I don't know. Is there a is there a Vision 2030 hashtag? I'll give well, it a go. Be. Yeah, do that. Um, I'll I'll give it a go and see where it goes. I, hopefully, there's enough people in the community that will see it and have a view because I, it just kind of fits so neatly into a bit of a cross-section of what we're seeing and it's one of those things where it sounds like fun so you should do it anyway <laughs> and on that note that's a, that's a, i mean that could describe most cfd so uh, it could so um, am i uh, am i going to let you choose next week's topic yeah okay i think and it's not going to be it's I not going to be the, about it <laughs> it's not going to be the the big uk technology strategy document you're not going to pick that right i'm not going to pick that no i'm going to come up with something i mean maybe maybe it might not even be might not even be cfd it might be some woolly nonsense that we well, I, I was wondering um just to throw it out there if you wanted to do a little bit um go a bit more down the business development route rather than the techie stuff we could do a bit of that let's do something like that i shall put my thinking cap on um, flat cap and uh, um, make it happen great stuff Look awesome to it. Che- thanks Simon take care Robert. cheers buddy